Well, good morning as well. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. And as you're standing, I hope you have your Bibles with you. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. If you're in need of a Bible, there should be a pew Bible located in front of you. You can find today's scripture reading on page 729. Isaiah 53, I'll be reading all 12 verses. Follow along as I read Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, Lord. Father, we thank you for this week, Lord. We praise you for this week. We praise you for the work, Lord, that you are doing. Father, your word tells us that the nations rage, and Lord, we see it firsthand. And yet, Father, and yet, your word is being proclaimed. Your word is going forth, Father, and we are thankful for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would have open minds and open hearts today, Lord. Open our hands, Lord, that we would do the work that you have called us to do, Lord. Move our feet that we would go, Father, that we would go to our neighbors, that we would go to our workplaces, Lord that we would go to the all people's groups and nations, Father, that we would continue to be a part of it. Show us, Lord. Show us, Father. May we cast aside any doubt, anything that's on our minds today, and solely focus on the preaching of your word. Be with Brother Masters, Father. Use him in a powerful way, I pray. And we thank you most of all for Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, and rising again. 
sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, Lord. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. It's good to be here. I've enjoyed this conference. Feels like we're at home when we're in this church. See old friends. And some new friends. This morning I want to speak to you from the book of Acts. The title of this message is, Ye Shall Be Witnesses. And we're going to put the emphasis on that word, shall. Ye shall be witnesses. You will be witnesses. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 18. And then we're going to read chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to see how a pattern for missions that is set in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is then carried forth in Acts chapter 8 in this story about how this man was saved. So we begin by reading Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll start a little earlier just to catch the flow of thought. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now we turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 to 39. It's a long passage, but it is the Word of God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading the passage that Dane just read for us. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. I like that obedience. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? 
for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord, you've told us that your purposes will be fulfilled through us. I don't know why this is your plan, but it is. We're just people. We're weak. We struggle still with our own sanctification. We struggle with fears. We're overwhelmed by life's problems. And it seems so difficult at times to raise up our eyes to this great and glorious goal of bearing witness to Christ around the world. But you've told us so clearly, you will be witnesses. And I pray that in this morning, you would encourage our hearts, that you'd show us what you're asking of us, And we can do what Philip did. Run. Run to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The book of Acts is a book about missions. It's an imperative. It's a commandment. You know that the book of Acts, if you read the title in your Bible, it says the Acts of the Apostles. And as you well know, that's something that the translators or the publishers put in there. It's a helpful title. I'm not against it. But others have suggested alternative titles. The Acts of the Holy Spirit, I think that's a great title. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Someone, I forget who, I was reading when I was preparing this message, said it could be this, the ongoing acts of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's good too because I like the fact that it connects. This is Jesus still doing his work, and he's doing it now through the Holy Spirit. So that's good. A little too long to print at the top of the book of Acts, but it's a great title. In that vein, maybe we could come up with something even more extensive and more complete. The ongoing acts of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church for the salvation of the nations for the glory of God. How about that one? I like that one. It's too long. Acts 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 8 is one of, there's at least five iterations of the Great Commission different words 
the end of chapter of John, God, in each of the Gospels you find one of the, a version of the Great Commission. Of course, the most famous one is in Matthew chapter 28. And this one, I think we tend to gravitate towards Matthew 28 and this one here. And this one has many virtues. There's a lot of good things about it. But when I began to study this passage, to be honest, at first I was a little disappointed in it. And the reason I was disappointed was that when you analyze it a little bit, you find out that there's no imperative verb in here. There's no actual commandment. In Matthew chapter 28, there's an imperative. Turn quickly, Matthew chapter 28. It says, now the 11, this is verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So it couches this in that framework. Jesus says this as an authoritative word. He has all authority given to him, and this is his authoritative word. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that verse 19, go therefore make disciples of all nations. There's an imperative verb in there. I won't get into the details. It's a little complex. There's a participle, and a lot of people like to argue about it. Bottom line, Jesus says do it. It's a commandment. Jesus says do it. All authority has been given to me, and based on that authority, here's what I expect you to do. It's a commandment. But there's no imperative verb in Acts 1.8. And so I thought it was a little lame, to be honest, at one point, a little wimpy. We could have put an imperative in there. That might have helped it, right? But then I got to thinking about it. There's actually, it's actually stronger than that. There's, it's not an imperative. It's a prophecy. It's not a commandment of what you should do. It's a prediction of what you will do. And what I will do through you. There's a famous story of Babe Ruth. If I remember right, the detail was he'd received a request from a sick kid, said, hit a home run for me. And so the famous story is that he stood at home plate and he pointed to the stands to show where he was going to hit the ball and on the very next pitch put it exactly where he would, had pointed. Some of you guys are watching the World Series. I know because that's what you're talking about before church, which is fine. They made 11 runs last night? Or nine runs? What was it? I didn't stay up. That's too late for me. That's a lot of runs. The night before, it was kind of interesting. I didn't stay up for that either. But apparently it was one with a home run in the 11th inning. That's what it was. And the announcer said, this guy could end it with one swing or something. And he did that just as, that's kind of weird. Says it and it happens. Well, Babe Ruth pointed to the stands and says, I'm going to put it there. Only the babe could do that. That's a strong statement. Another story I like, Winston Churchill was asked about Neville Chamberlain. 
remember Neville, Neville Chamberlain was the, the uh, prime minister before Churchill, and he was kind of a wimp, and maybe was partly his fault that World War II started because he thought he could appease Hitler. And someone asked Churchill what he thought, how, how history was going to treat Neville Chamberlain. And he said, not well. I know, because I'm going to write the history. And that's what he did. He wrote the history of World War II, and he does not treat Neville Chamberlain well. Well, this is even stronger. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We find a pattern for missions in this verse. The first thing is the key role played by the Holy Spirit. Before the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were timorous, fearful men hiding from the authorities. And following the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were bold preachers of the word, who dared to stand before the entire city and accuse them of having killed the Christ. He says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. And this is absolutely essential for missions. There can be no missions without the power of the Holy Spirit. Another part of that pattern is that our role, having received the power of the Holy Spirit, is simply to bear witness. We've got to get it through our heads that we cannot save anyone. And we cannot cause anyone to grow in Christ. We cannot cause a church to spring into existence. And we cannot cause that church to mature. And we cannot cause that church to raise up its own pastors and missionaries to carry the gospel further. None of that is something that we are capable of doing. Only the Holy Spirit can do that through the ministry of the Word. Nothing that we do is something that we are capable of doing. It's all by the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, as we are faithful witnesses, as we are faithful ministers of the Word. The power is in the Word. The power is in Christ Himself. The power is in the cross. The power comes through the Holy Spirit. So our role... It's not to say, not the disciples per se, all of that God uses us as mere tools in his hands. It's all done by the Holy Spirit. And the final thing that we can notice as far as a pattern for missions is the expansion of the gospel in the world. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were at that time, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
I told someone the other day, I've always thought I need to do this. I've never gotten around to do it. The ends of the earth, I don't know where that is exactly. Argentina may be as about as close to the end of the earth as you can get. If you look on a map, um, the bottom tip of Argentina is much further south than the bottom tip of South, south Africa. Not that this is a competition. <laughs> but if it were, uh, much further south. And that, so I don't know whether I need to do this, you know, measure the distance from Jerusalem to Ushuaia in southern Argentina. Maybe New Zealand is further south or something like that. I don't know. But it's just about as far away as you can get. And there are people starting churches in Ushuaia. You will be witnesses to me to the very ends of the earth. So that's the pattern we see in Acts 1.8. And if you take that paradigm, that pattern, you can see it repeated over and over again throughout the book. So let's do that. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. And this story of how this Ethiopian eunuch is converted. The first thing that we're going to notice is the divine initiative in the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, where did this begin? Whose initiative is this? This was not a ministry plan. It was not the elders at the church of Jerusalem who sat around and said, okay, let's be strategic. Let's figure out what we're doing next. Let's look at our resources. Let's draw up a budget. And, oh, Philip... Um, you're going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch on the way south through Gaza. That was not their plan. Now, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. This is the Lord who takes the initiative and sends his angel. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose up. And went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, king of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, again, who gave the instructions? Where's the initiative coming from? (coughs) The spirit said to Philip, here's what I want you to do. Go over there. I mean, by this time, maybe Philip could have figured it out. But he got very specific instruction. Go over and join this chariot. And again, I love Philip's response. A model response. When the Holy Spirit says, do something, how do we respond? Philip says, so Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. It was divine initiative. He was sent by an angel. And one point that we can derive from this is that God is not silent. And God still speaks to us. I fear that sometimes as evangelicals, we're practical agnostics. We believe the word of God, 
but we don't believe that God speaks to us personally anymore. We don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that He can tell us specifically what we are to do. And that's not the truth. God is not silent. God still can make Himself heard in our hearts. How are you saved unless the Holy Spirit spoke to you specifically and spoke to you about your sins? It was not a generic theory that brought you to Christ. It was your conviction of your sins brought on by the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. For those of you who have been praying about what you're supposed to give, many of you have the experience of God being very clear. You know, because God has spoken to you over these last several days. Creed and I have had over and over the experience of saying, and we're not, I'm not trying to be weird and mystical, but this is what happens. We go, what are we supposed to give for missions this year? And she goes, do you have a number? And I've got a number. And I go, do you have a number? And she's got a number. And we say, what's your number? And her number is the same as my number. Because God has spoken to us. And he does that over and over and over again. People say, how do I know if I'm supposed to be a missionary? Uh, God tells you. He confirms it through the church. He'll confirm it through circumstances. But all of that is very clear. I mean, there's periods where you're not sure yet. But when it's time for you to know, God will let you know. And God will let you know what he wants you to do. The reason we don't hear God is because we don't want to hear God. It's more convenient to say, I really don't know what he wants, because that gives us a lot of latitude. God still speaks. And he'll still speak to you through the Holy Spirit. He gave Philip very clear instructions. Go. I want you to go here, and I want you to talk to that man. God arranged an encounter. You know, that's the best way to do evangelism. Just be open to God arranging encounters, God putting you in situations where it's just obvious I have to say something, and then we say what we're supposed to say. What's our job? Not to save anyone, just to bear witness, to say what we know of Jesus Christ, to say what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, to explain the things that the Word has taught us. He sent an angel. He gave instructions. He arranged an encounter. And what Philip discovered was that God was already at work. God was already at work. This man was coming up. From Jerusalem, he'd been to the temple. This was a man who was seeking. This was a man who was also hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Something was drawing him. Something had brought him to Jerusalem. And now he was headed home, and he still didn't quite understand what it was that was happening in his heart. And he's searching for the answer in the right place. He's reading the Word of God, but he still can't make all the connections. The Holy Spirit's already working. God says, here, we're going to finish the deal. Philip, go talk to that guy. So this is a case study. 
missions begins with the divine initiative. The second point is that he works through his word. We only have one tool, the word of God. That's it. There's nothing else. Not sociology, not psychology, not marketing. None of the social... I'm not saying we can't read some of that. Some of it could be very valuable. We have to learn the culture. You've got to understand Japan. You've got to understand the culture. You've got to understand South Africa. Congratulations. You won the World Cup of rugby yesterday. Did you know that? That's something you should know. I'm sorry. I should have put it that way. That, That was really obnoxious. I'm sorry. But they did. I watched the replay. Argentina came out fourth. Kind of got, you know, beat up in the, anyway. But uh, South Africa beat uh, New Zealand yesterday in quite a game. I would go back and look that up on, on YouTube. You'll, you'll see the replay. Um, it's good to know what's going on in your country. And we all have a lot to learn. All that's good. But only the Word saves. Only the Word transforms. Only the Word can change lives. Only the Word can make new creatures out of dead people. Because the Word has life-giving power. And his task, what Philip saw he had to do, was simply make the connection. The Ethiopian is reading that amazing passage from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens, not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It's about a man who died. And I don't get it. And the Ethiopian eunuch is pondering this and saying, what does this mean? He knew it meant something. He'd been to Jerusalem. And as an Ethiopian, he couldn't have gone into the temple. He knew that the answer was somehow in there, but he can't go in because he's not a Jew. What's more, he's a eunuch. He's been mutilated. So he can't go into the temple. He's separated. There is a dividing wall. There's no answer for him in those sacrifices that were offered day after day after day. But Philip explains to him the word of life. And he says, this is speaking about Jesus. And you can know Jesus. Jesus can change your life. He is the sacrifice for your sins and the sins of the whole world. And the light goes on. It all falls into place. There's another thing about this passage. We see the salvation of an individual. But we also see God working in an amazingly strategic way. 
It says he was an official in Candace's court. The Coptic Church, which is an entire branch of Christianity, traces its roots to this man. There's an entire branch of Christianity that understands that their part of the church began with the conversion of this man. That leads us to assume that this man, having been converted, and we know he was converted because he does the next thing. He says, okay, then I must obey. Can I be baptized? What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, we got some water. Let's do it. And they do it. An entire branch of Christianity. So he must have gone back. He must have done what Philip had done. He must have taken the word of God and he must have connected the dots. He must have been a witness. He must have fulfilled what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. You will be witnesses. It's not bad to think strategically. As a church, it's good to be thinking strategically. As a missionary, I often say the one good idea I had was trying to start our church near the university, and that's borne all kinds of fruit. But when I look back, I realize that the idea was something that God brought to me through a series of experiences that I had had in my life. I would have never thought of that without those experiences, and those were experiences that had been guided by God. In the end, the question is not what's my idea of a good strategy. The question is what strategy is God developing? And the entire book of Acts is the story of God's unfolding strategy. God's unfolding strategy, not the disciples, because the disciples were often confused. Peter, who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to the Jews at Jerusalem, but not just the Jews at Jerusalem, but there were people from all over the world that were there on that day, and they heard the gospel preached in their own language by the power of the Holy Spirit. Philip, who opened the door for the gospel in Samaria. Philip, who was used here to preach the gospel to a key figure who would take the gospel to Ethiopia. The gospel from here spreads across Africa. There was a time when the most important part of Christianity was North Africa. Peter, who was used to open the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Romans in particular. Do you remember how he struggled with the idea of carrying the gospel to the Gentiles? God had to give him a special vision. He was on the roof of a house, and a sheet was lowered with all those weird animals. He said, take up and eat. Peter struggled with this. This was not his plan. This was God's plan. God is the master strategist. Paul, who took the gospel to Europe, Paul's vision was just to do another trip through Asia Minor. God had blessed that. Let's do it again. And he says, no, I've got something else for you to do, and gave him a vision of the man in Macedonia, saying, come over. 
because of that, he crossed over into Europe. And the church at Thessalonica was started, and he moved down through the Grecian Peninsula. That wasn't Paul's idea. That was God's plan. God is the master strategist. And when you know that God is the master strategist, it's so much more important that we just have our ears tuned to what God is doing, that our hearts are open to the Holy Spirit, and that we're simply obedient when God says, go, we run. The final thing we see in this passage is the role of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Philip was a man full of the Holy Spirit. We know that because he was among the first deacons chosen to serve the church and the disciples, the apostles, said, go and choose men full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he spoke in a way that the Jews could not oppose him. Philip was a man like Stephen. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. In this passage... In verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this church. Philip was used to hearing the voice of the Spirit. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Philip was used to being moved by the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For those that were in Sunday school and been here throughout the week, um, you know that I have a fascination with William Carey. One of his colleagues was a missionary named William Ward. And the day that William Ward died, he wrote his last letter. He didn't finish it. But one of the paragraphs, he was writing to a friend, and one of the paragraphs, Ward wrote this. He says, how do you feel in your desires after the Holy Spirit? Has anybody ever asked you that? How do you feel in your desires after the Holy Spirit? We can have no hope of success, but as we are brought to a believing dependence upon His influences and earnest solicitude to obtain them. 
we can have no hope of success. Until we believe that, until we believe that the Holy Spirit is working, until we believe that we must depend on the Holy Spirit, until we've come to the end of our own strength, we've come to the end of our own strategy, and all that's left is the Holy Spirit and His Word. And then that throws us back on Him. Until He has brought us to a believing dependence upon His influences and earnest solicitude to obtain them. Do we solicit the influence of the Holy Spirit? Do we say, give me, Lord, your Holy Spirit. Let me hear his voice. I'm lost without you. I can do nothing without you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you're bad fathers, you're bad parents, but you'll give your children bread. How much more will God, the Father, give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Babe Ruth said, I'm going to hit it there. This is stronger than that. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses. Dear Father, I pray that you would fill this church with Holy Spirit power. Cause them to be faithful to your word and make them be witnesses in ways that they never anticipated. Give them fruit that they haven't even dreamed of. In Jesus' name,